This is New Classical Tracks from American Public Media. I'm Julia Mocker. If you're enjoying this podcast, the best thing that you can do for the show is to tell somebody else about it. Help spread the word and take a moment to rate and review us on your podcasting app. Amanda Lee Falkenberg is an Australian-born composer and pianist who lives in Dubai. Five years ago, she took a leap of faith which led to the creation of a choral symphony that merges science and art. It all started with just a random email that could have ended up in a black hole. However, it ended up in the hands of a NASA scientist who got really excited about the Moon Symphony. And that was just one of the many moon miracles which happened as this project came together. It all unfolded with Marin Alsop, the London Symphony Orchestra, and the London Voices, with music and text by Amanda Lee Falkenberg. And we hear that story this week on new classical tracks from American Public Media. I'm Julia Macher. So let me just start off by having you introduce yourself. When you meet somebody for the first time, what do you say to introduce yourself? Well, um, I guess my name, which is Amanda Lee Falkenberg, and um, I guess probably the reason why we are together today is probably where I would start. And so I'm a composer and I have just completed a symphony um, in seven movements. It's been a five-year project. And it explores moons of our outer solar system, um, where there's a crowning moment for the seventh moon, which is our moon. And basically, the synopsis for this symphony is the first six moons explore the scientific data collected by space probes. And the seventh moon is about the emotional data being collected from the hearts of astronauts. And this is the experience of uh, this project. And... um, and I think the fun thing that I love to promote about it is that these stories that have collected from these incredible space missions are not sci-fi. These are science fact um, stories, which it makes them even more compelling. And and so, yes, yeah, so I've just been really busy the last at least five years of my life um, designing this whole project. And it has defined who I am today, which is why I just went straight to that definition of <laughs> who I am. And um, but yes, uh, so that's just a little uh, background from the last five years. Great. I want to ask you a little bit about yourself before this project, just to kind of uh, have people get to know you and who you are and what led you to where you are today. You're from Australia originally. Where do you live today? I live in Dubai, um, United Arab Emirates. I came here, gosh, maybe 17 years ago now. Um, My husband is American and we met in Seattle in the States and Um, We were on a film composing course together and he was a teacher out here at the time. And um, we got married six months later and he gave me a choice of staying in Australia or coming to Dubai. And I said, I'm coming to Dubai. So that's how I ended up in this wonderful um, place in the desert, practically, but um, a metropolitan city it is that they've created. And um, it's a wonderful, I really enjoy living here. Film is also a part of who you are, and you've done some TV and film projects. What have you done in that field that's been especially enjoyable for you? 
Well, I think what I love about our projects over the years is the diversity. We've done anything from a, an animation series with voiceovers of Lucy Liu and Mark Hamill, which was really fun, and that was all sort of um, Arabic sort of content, and so it was really fun. To, they wanted the orchestral treatment, but they also wanted Wisps of um, Arabia in there, and we just absolutely loved that experience. And then we've, we've also... Um, you know, I've done some feature films which required big orchestral sweeping music. Um, Arabian Sands was one of them, which I really enjoyed as well. And then I think just, you know, I, I, I think as a as a film composer, you are expected to have a huge kaleidoscope of um, genres that you can tap into. And this isn't necessarily a, um, a film that we wrote for, but my husband and I both put out a chill-out album of um, Arabian-inspired um, chill-out music, which uses obviously lots of different um, approaches than orchestral which is really my field but um, yeah I think that's what I've enjoyed the most about being a film composer and the visual aspect of it too Um, it's deeply inspiring seeing teaming up a visual landscape with a musical landscape. Let's go back to October of 2017 when you were just completing your concerto for piano and orchestra called Crossing the Crescent Moon And that's when you came across an article that was really life-changing for you, and it led to your most recent project, The Moon Symphony. And the article had an interesting title, 10 of the Weirdest Moons of Our Solar System, and you you were going to fight that (laughs) and go on a mission to um, prove that moons were not weird, they were fascinating. Would you tell me that story, please? Share that with our listeners. Oh, thank you for allowing me to go back to that space um, five years ago. And um, yes, that article, and I love how you've you've, um, phrased that and framed it. It was absolutely life-changing. I didn't quite know it at the time, but I felt something um, electrifying just enter my system. And and I think (laughs) I have to sort of... almost thank the um the author of giving that particular um article that name because i instantly got defensive and that's where the emotion started really coming into it like you said and um i instantly went my goodness these moons are not weird they're absolutely wonderful and i need to change their course and and so you know it was funny because when i saw them encased in silence as everything is in space you know i i really felt like especially after that article i just wanted to break them free and give them a voice and knowing the power of music being a film composer the persuasive powerful qualities that music more than ever any other art form can really manipulate the emotional landscape I just it was so clear to me that that's what I wanted to do with these moons and um, I'd almost finished my piano concerto at the time but it was a big incentive to get that done and dusted so I could begin my moons uh, project back then so uh, yeah it was it was a powerful moment in this work you're merging science and art why is that important to you I didn't didn't set out with the science it was purely music and emotion and like you would as a film composer when you get a script you go and study the script the characters and um, get under the skin of whatever you were about to be composing music for and the approach was exactly the same for these moons and once I'd shortlisted what I felt was the most uh, compelling characteristics of uh, the moons that I felt I could do some justice musically wise and wanted them to be as distinct as possible as well in their own right 
I um, set about just investigating them more and all of a sudden, and it didn't take long, I started to realise that there was actually a lot of science attached to their worlds. And, you know, it was almost as though you know, I, I just couldn't ignore it, Julie, and I just, it, it felt like the science was tapping me on the shoulder saying, hey, can we be part of this moon adventure with you? And I'm like, yeah, let's do this. And um, so I, at that point I wasn't planning on having a choir, but I thought, gosh, you know, if I did get the choir involved, it would give so much more relevance and outreach and could really house the science um, that I felt that it really needed to to have a voice. And it was just a beautiful opportunity for science to live in this symphony through the choir. I know that you have high hopes for this project to kind of go beyond the composition to become more of an education component. Can you talk more about that and how maybe it's already happening? Yeah, and I, and thank you for bringing it up. And I, I, I must say I am um, so thrilled about how quickly that is actually coming together. Um, I've been so fortunate. Again, it was serendipitous chain of events. Um, I got to meet some Imperial College professors um, through a planetary radio show that was being put on for the Moon Symphony, and they very kindly allowed us to they hosted the venue this was happening around the time of the actual recording of the moon symphony and they um, were part of our panelist discussions and I invited them to come and and experience the recording and what happened is that one of the professors was gosh I, I really should introduce Amanda to our outreach director and so we met and I shared with him my vision and, um, and I'm extremely happy to say that within six months of that meeting, we have a very big concert coming up at Imperial College for students um, to experience the Moon Symphony, where it will be our first outreach of, of showing the students. We have Key Stage 3 students coming along in the day. We've, we're um, having them experiencing the worlds, at least three of the moons, and um, we've got all this kind of um, information for them to be immersed with. And I'm designing the whole format, and I'm, of course, here's an opportunity to sandwich music and science side by side. So we're, so it's it's a pilot, I guess you could sort of say, to sort of road test this outreach. And, we've, and um, Imperial College have been so supportive. And in the evening, we've got a, another event for Key Stage 5 students um, for 700 people as well in, in the Grand Hall. And, and that's um, and also another opportunity for the students to experience the science right beside the music and the inspiration, how that showed up in the symphonic canvas. This project involved a lot of research. Can you talk about who you reached out to and how they supported this project as it began to unfold? Well, yes, and um, that was also a very charmed moment in the, the whole project, which was back in 2017 when I was doing my research, like you said, and I just kept coming across quite a few inconsistency with facts and figures. And I'm a teacher at heart and it was starting to bother me. And I'm like, all right, I said to my husband, right, I have to, I have to consult with a specialist. And I wasn't even calling it scientists. It was just a specialist of these moons. Who's a specialist out there? <laughs> and so I was in my research on YouTube. I kept coming across a character. I call it a character, but obviously he's more than that. But there was a certain individual who was interviewed a lot and um, doing a lot of promotion about Europa. And I remember thinking, gosh, this person looks really interesting. So I, I screenshotted his name and went and did some further research. And it took me straight to NASA. And I'm like, oh, okay, he's at, he's at NASA. 
And it was one of these emails that I, I wrote to him, but it's designed in a way that you you don't actually know the email. It just sort of goes into this black hole, as I call it, and you never know if they're going to even see it. And I thought, you know what? I've got nothing to lose. I'm just going to write to him, tell him my vision about this project and what I have for these moons. And seven days later, he wrote back to me and said, my project sounds really interesting. Part of the question, Julie, was explaining him to him that I really would love to speak with someone to just anchor my scientific facts so that I'm doing these moons justice. And he agreed to Skype with me about those matters. And that was Robert Papalato, who happened to be lead scientist of the Europa Clipper mission, which is the next flagship mission that's going out to um, Europa in planning to launch in 2024. So, and that's how it all began. And, And it snowballed from there. He introduced me to Dr. Linda Spilker, Cassini mission lead scientist, now on Voyager um, lead scientist um, mission. So, yeah, and then a whole other scientist from there sort of flowed thanks to his recommendations. You also shared your presentation about this symphony at NASA. Was that connected to this, what you were just talking about? Or is that different with the Cassini Project Science Group? That was back in 2018, and that's when I just I just completed a TEDx talk um, about my inspiration and my my um, vision for this project. And that that's when I was invited to give a presentation right next to the scientists at the Cassini mission, sharing the stage at the von Kármán Auditorium, which was a massive highlight in the evolution of this project. And I thank Dr. Linda Spilker for that opportunity for sure. Amanda, how did you come to collaborate with Marin Alsop and the London Symphony Orchestra and the London Voices? Well, I mean, I always had a vision and I was very clear about the team that I wanted involved and um, I had no no direct pathways to any of this except for just my vision. And somehow I managed to figure out how, step by step, You know, as my sister said, it's a classic comment. You don't need to see the full staircase to take that first step. So I found myself Googling Marin Olsop's PA and asking if I can submit some material and telling her about my project. I was building the symphony back then. And then to my surprise, she was interested in having a look at some of my material, which I did send through. And I got a very lovely email back. And that's really how it started. Just, you know, no no direct connections, but I had to go through, you know, the chain of events and the chain of command, if you like, for that situation to evolve. And then London Symphony Orchestra was pretty much the same way. I did have some people introduce me to key people to access the orchestra at least try and book them but yeah everything has been I mean I live in Dubai I'm not I don't have access to the these rich um historical you know art scenes that is London and so it was a little bit trickier to try and figure out the dream team as I saw it and I've just it's just been so I mean I talk about moon miracles associated with this project and they have absolutely been massive parts of that story. It's interesting because through this whole process you really had to just kind of be brave and put out some feelers and hope something would stick. And it did, which a lot of people wouldn't even, they'd be like, oh, I don't know where to start. So, wow, that's very interesting how you just kind of dove right in and all the right people came together. That's very exciting. You call this work a symphony, yet there's that choral component. So it made me wonder maybe if it's more of a cantata. Yeah, it's funny because there there has been that reference, but 
I, I just, it, it felt symphonic to me. It, it felt it, it felt more than a cantata. And, and I think the word cantata might come with sort of some, I mean, this is a, this is a, a, a brand new word. And I think cantata has a lot of uh, sort of a little bit too much history attached to it when the mind is, you know, to think about, you know, where the mind races when you say a word, it's sort of drawn back in time where I think a symphony maybe projects more into the future. So I'm really fussy about wording and, and labels and, you know, connotations. And I feel that's probably why symphony always felt like a safe place to, to park this idea because it's fresh, it's new, it's hopefully, you know, innovative in its own parameters um, rather than a, a cantata per se. Or maybe a choral symphony. Yes. Now that I'm thinking about like the Ninth yes. Symphony of Beethoven. Yeah. Got it. Let's talk about the text and where it comes from for this work. I know that you wrote the lyrics and the text. Is that right? Correct. Yes. So you just so where did you start? Where did you start when you wanted when you came up with the words to tell the story? Well, they started in science. Um, I have a, a three phase um, process for each of the moons. And the first phase is my research phase. And I call it my incubation period, actually. And um, I won't go anywhere near my music studio until I've absolutely absorbed, marinated in the scientific stories. And I'm very old school. I'll have, I would get books and pencil and paper and just write for months on end, just highlight things and just sit there for months, just harvesting as much information I can, which is not a lot. I mean, for someone like a Moon Titan after the Cassini mission, that's a huge amount of science that I had access to for that. But, you know, there, there is, yeah, so that there was that was the first phase. And then once I had thought I absorbed all the science that I possibly could, I'd make a big announcement to the household and the cats and the husband, like I'm going into the music studio. And um, so that was a very deep uh, second part of the process, which required a completely different headspace. Um, and I literally would just put the science books aside and just, you know, rely on the internal marinated process and, and allow that to just come through musically. And then once I had that phase com- completed, I would then start what I, the libretto phase, which I really loved because it's the sort of thing I could do when I was traveling and in airports and you know hotels. And I would then listen to the music that I'd composed. I'd get all my science books out again, listen to the musical phrase, and then look at what lent itself to that particular passage of music and then team it up with words. But then I had that extra layer of, okay, that's very sciencey right now. Then I had to sort of unpick it from its science a bit into a poetic and frame it more poetically because this is art. And then, but that was going to be the bridge and the conduit for later going back and for my outreach program. So I can, there's a direct bridging to that nitty gritty science. But from a theatre perspective, I want it to be more poetically finessed if you like and I absolutely I couldn't believe how much I love that process actually <laughs> well partly because it was sort of towards the end of the finishing moments for that moon but it was just so every aspect was so enjoyable creatively how did you choose the seven moons for your symphony that was a fun uh part of the project Definitely, I wanted, I let them speak to me and and really it was more aesthetic because back then when I was shortlisting them, it wasn't 
the science I was going after. It was the aesthetic properties, it was the characteristics. It was looking at the icy world of, of Europa versus the volcanic world of Io. That was really easy distinctions for me to go, okay, they're in, they're shortlisted. And then, of course, I mean, Miranda with, you know, her jumbled terrain, extraterrestrial. Like, so it was really the, the, the terrains that I settled upon and, uh, and I just felt I could do something musically, you know, hopefully engaging with from that. That was really my starting point. And then I was just so fortunate to come across all this science as I got deeper into their investigating their worlds. So that's really how it began. Which of these moons or movements presented the greatest challenge for you? Well, I think they all had their own set of challenges. Like, for instance, Titan. You know, I I had a field day choosing the science of that world um, because of all the recent discoveries because of the legendary Cassini mission in orbit around Saturn all those years ago. And... And I remember that one of the challenging moments was I had been composing non-stop for seven strong days and I remember just listening back to what I had, had, had come up with and I'm like, I don't like this. I am scrapping everything. So, you know, I just like literally delete and I'm like, I'm starting from scratch. So that was a little bit challenging and, you know, not for the faint-hearted, but I'm like, I, I just intuitively didn't feel connected with it. And I'm like, no, this isn't, you know, I've got to feel a relationship with this because how on earth will anyone else, you know, be able to potentially relate to it if I'm not relating to it? So that was a bit of a challenge. And then Miranda was a challenge, um, for different reasons, uh, I felt the most emotionally affected by her moon. Um, and, and actually, she has a very special place in the whole storytelling because that's what led me to the seventh moon, her story. Um, but I think... You know, just getting in that headspace, that ethereal headspace to try and capture their stories symphonically, musically, it is, it is, it's such a, it's a very unusual place to to sit for so long and and it requires such an intense amount of concentration and just leaving your body literally to access these other realms. And that's that's a challenge in itself to just remain super focused, super calm, super just an intense cocoon of composition that, you know, it doesn't call for too many distractions. You just need to be just sitting in that space and holding it for them is intense. And so I think that was always probably the challenging moment to sustain yourself for long periods of time in that ethereal world of music creating. You might have just kind of answered this with your comments about the moon Miranda, but I'll I'll ask it anyway. Of these moons, which one 
is the one you find yourself kind of gravitating toward? Like now when you go back and you listen to the work you put together, is there one that oh, just really, every time you listen to it, it's like just makes you kind of go back there to that creative process and what a great space that was. Well, I mean, Earth Moon um, has really special significance in this symphony f- for many, many, many multiple layers um, that we probably don't have time to get into today. But that is something that I definitely get taken back to just imagining the surface of Earth um, Moon, watching our amazing planet rise above uh, the lunar surface and and I, and that is just so impactful impactful for me because it was it was been basically a moon symphony astronaut for you know uh the three years that i was composing this work and being exposed to the harsh unforgiving outer edges of our solar system and not finding any life and not finding any home that is flourishing teeming with a place like planet earth and it was actually it was so moon miranda is the other moon that i'm extremely passionate and invested in emotionally because her story when i was composing um her dramatic story to the musical canvas i i just i got so involved in her world and i remember just feeling so affected by it um that it felt like a nightmare that i was almost living and i just wanted to like myself out of it because it just was so dark and scary and violent and I just found myself sort of imagining myself beaming myself back to earth and that's when all of a sudden I found the story of the seventh moon and I thought oh my goodness this is what's missing from my symphony this seventh story which was why don't we position earth moon our moon in this storytelling because this is what's missing from the solar symphony adventures is to remind us that we actually do have a home in this solar system um, that is for all of us and that's teeming with life and that was and it was Miranda's story that brought me to that inspiration. The final movement is the Earth Moon? Correct, yes. In that final movement, you have us standing together on the surface of the moon to experience Earthrise. Yes. And it's a powerful message for humanity. Can you talk about that message that you're, that you're hoping to convey, that you're hoping we'll get as we experience that piece? Well... Uh, Frank White is um, a name that we should be bringing into this conversation. He has done some extraordinary sort of spiritual work on this very thing about what astronauts experience when they leave Earth's orbit and see our planet from that perspective. And I've had the, the, the most incredible conversations with astronaut Nicole Stott about her emotional accounts about seeing earth from that perspective and and she echoes so many astronauts they when they come back to earth and want to relay these experiences there are no words to try and translate what they have seen and felt emotionally and and so many times in my exchanges with Nicole I would just find myself saying gosh this is where 
the role of music takes over when words fail. And like I've said before, as a film composer, there are ways that you can manipulate music to get in the emotional landscape, get under the, get into the hearts of humanity to tell that story from an emotional lens. And so really that is what my absolute mission was with that seventh movement, not so much the scientific story, the emotional story. And that's where I really pulled on everything that I possibly could. But it was that Earthrise photo from the Apollo 8 mission that just really started the environmental movement, changed the hearts of so many people, seeing our planet from that perspective. That's guided all my um, musical decisions when I was composing the music for that for that um, movement. And I was extremely moved writing the themes that are now formed that seventh movement because it's a pretty powerful message from the universe, which is what all the astronauts are explaining. And, and the other thing as well is that, you know, we want to find a way of having every earthling experience what the astronauts do without having to leave Earth orbit. Maybe there's a way through the symphony we can capture that through the powers of music and also this space flight to set six different worlds before and then being reminded about our home. Debussy's Claire de Lune is also featured at the end of this recording, and you are featured at the piano. What is your relationship with this piece? Well, I think, first and foremost, uh, you know, there's so much new things that this symphony exposes the human to. The science, the new sounds, the new, just the whole concept is, it's a concept album. And I felt that... uh, the, the Debussy just means something to most of us. Like to almost, I think there's not one, there's not many people you would find on the planet that are, do not have an affiliation with that beautiful um, piece. And I wanted to bring a certain amount of familiarity to the album to a certain extent, but also it's just got these beautiful, ethereal, calming qualities about it and um, the the Claire de Lune itself, the the fact that it's inspired after our moon and and I think that's something that everyone has a relationship with is our moon and they might not have necessarily a relationship with Debussy's music but they do with our earth moon and that's why it felt just a really important fixture in this album um, musically and emotionally to sort of bring people down just kind of center ground them after this you know um, symphonic space adventure and and I think there's just something really mystical and magical about the way Debussy has crafted that masterpiece and it's one thing to enjoy listening to it but to play it is another whole experience as well. It's it is just magic, and I I just it's like healing balm. I find um, so it just felt like it's such a companion in my um, repertoire, and I just felt that it belonged on this album. In your reflection, 
in the process of creating this project, which has been over several years. Amanda, what have you discovered about yourself? And maybe it was even something that surprised you. Yeah, that's a, a pretty special question, actually. And um, I am in constant communication with my sister about all the nuances of, of creating this this project. She's just been um, in, incredibly um, interested in all the ins and outs of the creative process. And I, I, um, I love my banter with her every day because it gives me a chance to reflect in really big, beautiful ways. And, and the themes that come up are really quite powerful. And one thing, a theme that does, it seems to come up with our conversations and our banter over the years is the trust. I, I feel that that is what's happened in this last five years is that's how I've been affected by this project is just surrendering to the serendipitous nature in which this symphony has almost taken on a life of its own it's you know I've just been like at the control um just almost being manipulated by you know where I I need to go next and just listening to the inner voices and and the guidance and just letting that dictate what I should be doing, not necessarily listening to the intellectual mind, but just more of that other creative space and just being comfortable sitting in it and not necessarily knowing the answers per se, but following just the, just following your intuition, following your thoughts and, and trusting in blind faith, like you said before, just, just surrendering to the unknown. And that has been such a powerful experience that I never thought and and it's like a muscle the more you use it it seems to get stronger and I feel looking back on the last five years applying that particular process and surrendering to that blind faith has really been wow I, I that is it's it's powerful The Moon Symphony, a new choral symphony by Amanda Lee Falkenberg. Thanks to Valerie Kaler, our producer for new classical tracks from American Public Media. I'm Julie Almacher. 